In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I had a really fascinating discussion with Emily Royal, the Smart City Coordinator of the City of San Antonio, Texas. Emily tells us about her passion for advancing equity in smart cities and the community-driven smart city model that San Antonio is pursuing. We discuss the digital divide and the equity questions municipalities need to be thinking about when being marketed to by companies mediating smart city data. Emily then tells us about a number of really interesting and innovative projects that the city of San Antonio is currently working on, including how they partnered with kids in the local Coda Dojo coding program to get viable prototypes for their community. Emily and I finish our conversation discussing her thoughts on integrating across the different disciplines and the jobs of the future, as well as the emerging trends of digital justice and digital equity. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Emily. How are you today? I'm great, Zoe. How are you? I am fabulous. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? Absolutely. So my passion is advancing equity in smart cities. And for me, that means that in this world of emerging technology, that's increasingly being integrated in public space. How do we make sure that um, citizens are empowered by that technology? And that's really what I strive to devote my work towards. My background is diverse. I actually have a neuroscience degree wow. from undergrad yeah, from the University of Texas at Austin. And from there, um, you know, I learned a lot about um, really how to manipulate big data and also about really complex systems and how interconnected natural systems are and the ways in which urban systems can be similar, right? So I had this sort of worldview coming from biology, really, and translated that into urban planning, where I did my master's degree at MIT in the public policy urban planning department. So my master's is in uh, city planning. And that's a little bit about my background. Professionally, I've kind of like crossed over a lot. Um, I've done a lot of data science work and machine learning, and then a lot of policy work in that space too around data privacy um, and digital services. So combining all that, you know, together makes, I guess, me. <laughs> awesome. Well, what sparked your interest in this like smart city, smart community space? Yeah, I think seeing kind of some of the emerging trends in technology and the transformation that was happening rapidly in our digital environments and realizing that while industry is moving really quickly in this space, I think governments need to catch up and as really stewards of public interest and what Rousseau would call the social contract, right? It's kind of an interesting space to really work towards being open to innovation, like opening up municipal governments to innovation, and at the same time, making sure that we have a fair uh, regulatory space to play in so that we are protecting our 
residents' privacy and security of data and smart city technology, that we're also figuring out how to co-create with our citizens what a smart city really looks like. And so I think my interest kind of came from my skills and and combining them together um, in these spaces. And I now work in my hometown, which is San Antonio, Texas, which is an amazing place to work because San Antonio is really an emerging city in the smart city space. We're a little bit late to the game compared to other big American cities like Chicago or New York City. But our advantage is that we have an opportunity to learn from the successes and failures of other cities. And we really want to pioneer what we'd like to call a community-driven smart city model. And we're asking ourselves, like, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? So that's kind of the challenge of the work that I'm doing right now. Yeah, cool. Like not getting caught up in the hype and the buzzwords, but like kind of cutting down into, well, what does that actually mean for San Antonio? So what is a smart city or a smart community to you? I think a a smart city or a smart community is one where citizens have the opportunity to participate in the technology that shapes their lives. And I think that's kind of what the digital equity space right now, which is also sort of a buzzword, but that's really about is really making sure that everybody has the opportunity to use technology in a way that empowers them and lets them really just use services to the maximum of their benefit. And to give a tangible example of that, San Antonio suffers from a digital divide, meaning that while our government and, of course, the private sector are delivering more and more services online and digitally, we only have one out of 20 of our residents don't have access to the internet, to broadband internet at home. So that's an issue because that's like a workforce development issue, but, you know, it's also an economic issue. And part of our work at the city of San Antonio is trying to figure out how do we bridge that digital divide for our community. So I think that's kind of a a really important space that like smart cities of today are looking at, you know, is how when we talk about this, like what's called a smart city 3.0 model, which is this concept of community driven smart cities. Well, if we're going to plug and play all of this cool technology in public spaces, where are we creating gaps by doing that? We have a lot of e-scooters in San Antonio, for example. And, you know, that creates a, like a data source that's showing us last mile mobility where people are making these last mile trips. Um, we are getting, you know, receiving data to, to be able to see that. And, At the same time, we have to ask those equity questions, right? Like, who's not using e-scooters and why, right? Is it because they don't have a smartphone, for example? Is it because maybe they don't have access to the internet? They don't have maybe the skills to use devices that do access the internet? So we can't just assume that the kinds of data feeds that we get from smart city technologies are objective or comprehensive or representative of our community. So... We have to kind of ask those equity questions on the back end too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's so true. And it's all well and good for us to pay, you know, I don't know, $3 or something for our last mile, but that might be out of people's reach after they get off the bus or whatever, as well as physical accessibility issues where somebody might not be able to ride a scooter. Maybe they are um, a wheelchair user or something like that. And capturing that data is important. So then we know, well, you know, this path isn't accessible right now. 
but actually that would be the most direct route of most of the people that are commuting or something like that. But not having those gaps in the data kind of even can, like you were saying, kind of increase that digital divide because we just assume that the data is comprehensive of everyone. Absolutely. And I want to add that, um, you know, in the space I work in, I'm a client for a lot of companies that want to sell us packaged data from these smart city technologies. And, you know, municipal governments are clients for that data. And so we constantly in our office ask that question of vendors, which is, you give us the stats on this data. Like, is it really representative of our community? And we have to increasingly ask that because, you know, public services like transportation systems that are increasingly mediated by the private sector, they're also marketed to, right? They are marketed to a specific group. So maybe data that's presented to us as comprehensive is really just targeting a certain demographic in our community, maybe millennials. So we have to, when we use that data for planning and policy, really uh, strive to make sure that it is comprehensive. And if not, figure out creative ways to supplement that. Mm, Yeah. I was thinking about like Uber Eats or Deliveroo or these services and At one point, someone was talking to me about it. I said, well, you know, it's really just meals on wheels with better marketing, really. So it's like it's not a new concept, but it's just the target market, which is what you just said, which made me think about this, is different because the money is in people sitting at home going, oh, I'm watching Netflix. I'm I'm hungry now. But yeah, so it's it's a really interesting way to put it, like that it's we're marketing now these like services that before weren't weren't like cool or you know different or whatever that were just you know for people in need whereas now we can all access them we think it's the greatest most awesome thing ever (laughs) that's actually a pretty good point yeah the kind of the life cycle of this stuff you know nothing is new under the sun and smart city technology a lot of it is just like platforms that mediate facilitate interactions and i think it's a really cool thing to notice that a lot of these services like already exist for people of need and they are adapted to you know different markets later yeah and that's where i really think that that's where the smart community impact can really be the positive impact if it's done well but it won't just happen it will actually be worse if we just let this stuff happen but really putting that focus on well is this whatever concept, technology, new way of doing things going to benefit the people that right now have the most at stake that can't access the network now? And if it doesn't, then okay, well, it's not ready for our community. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been traveling around and looking at all the things and all the inequities in all the places I was going. I was looking at mobility specifically, so transportation, and just how we can use mobility or you know a new system or transport or different way of doing things to really address in some part those inequities and how if we really put that hat on or put that lens over then we can make really like a lot of difference whereas it won't just be another road project or another service line for a wealthy community or something like that it will be actually getting more people on the network that really had no other choice before so yeah, anyway, this is my, my thoughts I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think when you ask, I know a question that you're going to ask me in a little bit, which we could talk about now is like, what's the future, right? You know, future trends, emerging trends in smart cities. And I think it's really bad. Like, I think it's kind of healing our cities in a way. And, you know, how can we ask 
those hard questions of technology and kind of see through the, the excitement of the novelty of maybe a, a new or emerging technology and the shininess of it and really say, like, how can this actually address and help people, right, and address some of the, the real challenges that people face. So we're trying to kind of think about how to authentically do that in our office. And, you know, we survey our community. We also try to share with our vendors what we call like proto personas or kind of like imagined personalities of like a day in the life of a person in San Antonio. It's representative of a demographic. And we say to our vendors, like, we don't want you to solve this problem with X, Y, and Z components in exactly this way. We want you to think about this kind of person that lives in San Antonio and is trying to do these things and how can you make their life easier. So we try to frame a lot of our engagement with the private sector that way. Yeah, cool. I think we've kind of answered the next question, which is why is it important? So we might move on to how do you think America is currently embracing this concept? That's a really good question, um, which kind of reminds me of the how global, right, this phenomenon of smart cities is. I think America, I think local governments, municipal governments, city governments, right, are very embracing of this concept because we are so close to our citizens and we are delivering those last mile services directly to our citizens. I think the struggle in America is that at the federal and state level, we really don't have a lot of regulatory frameworks for emerging technology. And I'm thinking of like autonomous vehicles, for example. A lot of autonomous vehicles, you know, that you put in public streets, you also have to put sensors and infrastructure so that those vehicles can learn from the environment and respond and react to sensors that are there. Those sensors can take in a lot of tangential data and information about people walking by, about the environment. We struggle as a local government to really find legislation that helps us understand, you know, what are the parameters for what we can and can't do in terms of privacy and security around that. So I think that the state and federal levels of of government have a lot of catching up to do for things that are already breaking into our public space at the local and municipal level. Mm, Yeah, no, I totally agree. And when I was in America, um, when I was traveling recently and Canada, I mean, it's similar in Australia as well, where these private entities are really building or creating this urgency of that middle layer of regulation policy, you're setting the rules of play. And I find that really interesting. And it forces, well, it's, uh, I guess it should really force those levels of government to act really quickly, but in a way that will serve the greater good, I suppose. So it's a, it's a hard thing, right? I used to work for the government and it's hard. Being a government agency, it's like, and you can't choose your customers, right? But yeah, this urgency is being created by these private sector companies and we really have to grab it now and be able to attract the talented people that aren't working for the private sector, you know, the private big tech companies, but bring those other, all those disciplines that we actually need to make these decisions. Yeah, it's, it's a really important time right now, I think, to set those rules. I mean, I think the, the time was yesterday, but you know, the next best time is now. <laughs> the next best time is now. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Well, let's go into some of the projects and things that you're currently working on. I'm really keen to hear about those. Sure. So our office, I mean, it's like where to begin, right? <laughs> We're doing so much. 
So I think one of our programs that I lead right now that I'd love to highlight is called CivTech SA, um, which stands for Civic Technology San Antonio. And this is a pretty innovative program where what we do is we identify challenges in our city department. We go to our city department and we say, you know, what are, what are you working on that you don't have the capacity or the technology or the expertise to do? And then we take those challenges and we outsource them to our uh, local universities, to extracurricular programs that are teaching kids how to code or how to do data science, high schools, and then also to our sort of entrepreneur ecosystem, our startup ecosystem. And we say, here's challenges from your city that are sourced by city departments. What can you create? What can you build? And I mean, we get some amazing stuff like we had this year, seventh graders, I mean, little kids too, like seven-year-olds that are developing applications that serve our city departments. So it's like we have children coding apps that actually have utility for some of our departments. For example, we had a, a group here called Coder Dojo, which is a grassroots a program that teaches kids for free how to code and pairs them up with mentors. And they built a team. We have that in Australia as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, even in my uh, town. You have like a, a like a coder dojo specifically? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I heard that they're like, they have international chapters. So we worked with them. I'm going to have to get them on the podcast. Anyway. You should. You totally should. I got excited. No, no, you totally should because though, you know, for us, like the, the women who started that, it's like a group of women who are moms, basically, who are saying, you know, like, our kids aren't getting this education in school, so we are going to find another way. And we partnered with them. So yeah, so we've got children coding applications. And I, I just think that's really special to see in a city is when like a municipal government can actually get viable prototypes from their community for technology that they can't build in-house or that they don't want to go to the private sector and, and sort of fork over a huge check for. So we have that kind of that model in place, which is really inspiring. We are also working on, like I told you earlier, our digital divide assessment, really trying to set the baseline. There's a lot of like statewide data and really they extrapolate estimates about cities in terms of digital divide stuff. And so we kind of said, you know, that's not enough. Like we need something that's like zip code level or city council district level. So we're working with a number of partners to really do that assessment for our community and say, well, this does this look like for San Antonio, right? Another big project, I mean, my whole thing is I'm really interested in data, right? And data governance in the smart city. So we're also working on our data governance strategy and how do we communicate creatively with the public about data and that's part of our data communications plan that I'm going to be developing over the next few months. And for me, a, a lot of it is that smart city data that is generated by technology that we experiment with in public space. How can we turn that over as much as possible to our community and give them the tools and the opportunity to see how this data can benefit them, how they can manipulate it, use it? And be open and transparent about that. And of course, respecting people's privacy where that's appropriate. So we're navigating all of that. And meanwhile, also running what's called our Smart SA partnership. Something that's really unique, I think, about San Antonio is our utilities are municipally owned. So the city government owns our utilities companies. It's not like we work with the private sector that runs our energy or our water. So that's pretty cool because... 
that's kind of a unique situation for a lot of cities in the United States. Many utilities are privatized in America. So we have a cool opportunity to really have close working relationships with those organizations that manage critical aspects of our citizens' lives. And we get to collaborate with them on smart city projects and really try to explore together how we can push that envelope of delivering better services collaboratively. So we also run that partnerships. We've got about eight partners, including the city of San Antonio, and we kind of organize and facilitate that too. So I think, yeah, those are some of the high level projects that I'm working on. And also I wanted to just share a little bit about the importance of art actually for me in this space. Like I work a lot in, so like my life has been kind of split between art and science, right? And I really perform well in this like regulatory political space and like really using my analytical mind for that. But I think there's something really powerful about using art to interact, like create safe interactive spaces to talk about these concepts with our community so I also run this studio called Overt, which I spell the French way, ouvert, meaning open. And it's really like participatory art projects that really kind of try to light light bulbs in people's minds about how data really does flow through our devices and impacts and affects our lives and our culture. So I do a lot of like fun projects there that are experimental and crazy, but they really inform my work because I get a way, way zoomed in closer picture at how people today understand the technology that we are immersed in. Yeah, it's kind of like increasing data and tech literacy, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to go back to the the coded dojo. And can you give some examples of some of the types of things that the the kids kind of, the apps or something that were really useful to the councils, like what type of services and stuff like that? Yeah. So this year, uh, Coder Dojo formed a team of, I couldn't remember how many, but it was probably around 12 or 13 kids. And they partnered with our parks and recreation department. And they created an app for our parks department that kind of is like a choose-your-own-adventure app that tells a little bit about the history of a particular park or area. And it's an interactive application that kind of unfolds, you know, over time as you use it. And it has all kinds of features on it. So that was pretty cool. I think it, like, really sparks the imagination of these kids. And if you think about, like, what's really happening, kids are building a technology to mediate a public space. And I think in this era where we say like, oh, well, all these kids are stuck at home playing video games. They don't even know what it's like to go to a park anymore. I think this is a really great example of how there's another way, you know, where like kids can be super engaged in building technologies that changes how we interact with public space in the smart city. And that was pretty cool to see. Other things that those kids work on, um, not directly with the city. This is our first year doing a, a partnership with them on specifically that project. But other things that they do is a lot of cybersecurity, actually. So kids learning how to generate, develop software that would generate incredibly difficult passwords to crack or all kinds of cool cybersecurity work. 
So that's a, a big industry in San Antonio is a big focus area here. So I think there's a lot of thought around how can we build the workforce of the future in cybersecurity and start with, with our children. That's mm, really important, obviously, in this space. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. It's like for all the data and all this stuff, right? Like I remember years ago when it occurred to me stuff, like I was doing my grad work and I really, I just felt like I woke up one day and I was like, cities can get hacked. Like I was like, wait a minute, you know? cities could get hacked and it just kind of blew my mind that that's a reality now. Totally. Yeah. I want to actually talk to a city that's been hacked, but we'll see if they'll talk to me. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. I know that Atlanta did recently in the United States. I was pretty big in this. I believe Baltimore, but I'm not, I can't remember. Mm. Okay. Let's move on to the next question, which is how do you think we can better integrate across the different disciplines? So government, industry, academia, coders, How do we integrate better? I really think it starts with education, honestly. I think I I was recently at a panel about the workforce of the future. And in this era where so many jobs are threatened by artificial intelligence or potentially threatened by AI, the question became like, how do we educate our kids? If we give them skills today that will be obsolete tomorrow, what do we do? And the answer was, well, we focus on creativity. And we focused on what are the things that humans will always be able to do. And that is creativity and kind of thinking outside of the box and creating new patterns of interactions between disciplines that maybe previously were not associated with each other. So I feel really strongly that the workforce of the future is going to be less siloed because the people that emerge from our education system, hopefully in America, we're going to focus less on trades and skills that can you know, later be co-opted by a machine and more on diversity of experience and awareness, which sounds abstract, but I can say from my own personal experience that being able to connect very different modes of thinking is a critical piece of my job. Being able to speak multiple languages, whether it's data science or it's cultural arts or its procurement, you know, or its community is speaking in layman's terms about this technology and this movement. That's really important. So I would say that I agree. Yeah. From a really cut and dry perspective in terms of, you know, how city governments operate, procurement reform, changing the ways in which cities buy technology fairly. Right now there's a lot of restrictions that are really hard to work through and and really, I think, hinder innovation in a lot of ways. So a lot of people are having conversations in America right now about how can we reform the procurement process in local government. Yeah, no, definitely. I think making procurement accessible for companies that might have the best solution or concept or thinking or whatever, but that they actually can't access it now and they actually have no clue how to either (laughs) because it's it's hard right but then also it's a tough job being a local government because you have to make sure it's fair and equal and equitable but it's not an impossible job it just needs a lot of thinking and consideration and I think that transparency of well this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it and these are the decisions that we've made about this is really important absolutely yeah So uh, what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough I know we touched on this a little bit before but Would you like to expand on that or bring something else to the table? Yeah, emerging trends. I want to say, you know, the words that are 
really buzzing around in my brain right now are words like data justice, digital equity. I think we more and more are asking questions about how our interactions are mediated digitally. I mean, this is the whole Facebook thing and all that. How is technology shaping not just how our culture evolves, but how we as individuals perceive our environment and each other? So integrating, I think, sort of the cultural development of a city with how interactions are mediated by technology is kind of an emerging discussion. And I really, I'm really passionate about connecting people across the world, like it sounds you are in the smart city space, but specifically those that focus on some of those challenges that we encounter in smart cities. And, uh, and I think that's the thing, you know, the, the equity piece and the, the sort of lens of how technologies are, uh, you know, in a way, like, because they're human, they're naturally biased because we are biased. And I think we can strive for something greater. And it really is simply a reflection on ourselves. Like the technology is not independent of us. We create it. And so it's a great time for us to be asking those hard questions to ourselves about who we are as the harbingers of technological development. Yeah, I interviewed someone early on, Laura Falano, I think her name was, and what stuck with me from her interview was technology is a product of human creativity. So, you know, we can't just blame the technology, but then also we can embrace it because it's people talk about it not being human. Well, no, it is. And so it, it's up to us to shape it, right? Mm-hmm. I really just have one last question. Um, it's been such a great conversation. I could talk to you for hours, I think. But we better wrap up, better go to work, I suppose. Yeah. You turn, you better finish off your day. So how can people connect with you, Emily? Yeah, so I think Twitter's probably the best place. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Emily, E-M-I-L-Y underscore Royal, the two L's, R-O-Y-A-L-L. And you can also find me in all the all the right places, right? Like LinkedIn and all that, all the things. So those are probably the best ways to reach out to me. I'm pretty responsive on both. Excellent. We can put the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Thank you again so much for coming onto the podcast. And I really look forward to chatting again soon. I think we should have some more chats because I think we're on the same wavelength here. Absolutely. I'd love to, Zoe. Awesome. Well, thanks again and have the best day. Talk soon. Alrighty. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 